O Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. Your glory is higher than the heavens. When I look at the night sky and see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you set in place, what are mere mortals that you should think about them, human beings that you should care for them? You gave them charge of everything you made, putting all things under their authority. The birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, and everything that swims the ocean currents. O oh Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. We were all the scripture readers earlier on as we sang. Well, I want to begin by uh, congratulating uh, Noel and Lala and uh, Will Go Frogs and uh, Robert and uh, just congratulate you and know that our, our thoughts and prayers go with you guys wherever you might be. Um, you know, when you head to college, it's a fascinating time. Uh, you get to meet other amazing people like yourself. You know, sometimes you're the best thing. To ever to come out of your family or your church or your town or whatever it might be. And then you get to college and there are a lot of other people who are the best thing to ever come out of their family or church or town or whatever it might be. So it's a challenging time as you kind of find your own footing and find your own place during that time. And it really is a defining time. It's a defining moment where you, where you do deal with the question, not just what am I going to do eventually, but who am I? And more foundationally, who am I in relation to God. And that's really what David talks about here in Psalm chapter 8. And I love it because I think he combines the two fundamental emotions of faith when we really get down to it and realize who God is and who we are in relationship to God. And it's awe and joy. Awe and just being in awe of God because of the vastness of his creation and his having created ourselves. And joy at the fact that he cares about us at all, which he does. But this psalm of David answers that question, who am I, who are we, in four real dimensions. And he kind of encourages us to look in four different directions. He says, look up. He says, look down. Look back and look forward. So I want to break this down. You know, Who am I in relation to God? Well, David begins by saying, look up. Because you realize how small you are. Look up to the heavens. Verse 1 of Psalm 8 says what? O Lord, O Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. Your glory is higher than the heavens. Many of us learned it with a song, what? O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Uh, this is NLT, and it's a more accurate translation, I think. Our, o Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. Your glory is higher than the heavens. Isn't it amazing sometimes when you and I actually feel his glory in some certain way? Okay, uh, the the uh, uh, Pitts boys, Owen Cooper. Do you know what happened on August twenty first, twenty seventeen? You were in Hops Hopkinsville, Kentucky. What was it that happened? You remember? The eclipse. The eclipse. Very good, Owen. Very good. The solar eclipse. The Pitts. Well, at least Brian. Did you get to go, Renee? It was just the, the guys. It was a guy trip. And uh, Brian took the boys up to Hopkinsville, Kentucky, to actually see the eclipse. Was it not a cool thing? Was it not cool? coolest thing you've ever seen? Okay, what about me preaching? 
Okay, you can stop. It's right up there. Thank you, Owen. Good man. Always perceptive young man. Uh, What was amazing, though, it was funny. If you Google uh, eclipse and emotional, just those two words, eclipse and emotional, because I saw one clip of this uh, uh, popular weatherman in uh, Chicago who just got all emotional to where he couldn't speak. Uh, he did that even before the eclipse, but especially during and after. And then there were, you know, if you just do eclipse and emotional, you'll see all these professional reporters, broadcasters, who just get overwhelmed. Uh, the three I'm going to show you real quickly are, are minor compared to others who just completely lose it. But it's amazing just to realize just how when they realize the vastness of God and, and the amazing uh, nature of this, this solar eclipse and reminding us of how small we are. And how in all we are just to see this thing, it's pretty amazing. So let's look at those three clips. Look at that. Look at that. Oh my word. Wow. This is amazing. What do you think of this, guys? Wow. You did it. Congratulations. Where are you going to be in seven years? I don't know. I think we're going to be back here again. All right, so We'll see you back here. Look at this. Oh, my word. Look at the horizon, everybody. Uh, look at that. It's like day to night. It's getting darker and darker. I'm going to let you listen to the crowd here for just a moment. Here we go, Lester. Totality now arriving. That's awesome. Wow, Lester, an incredible scene out here. You no longer need these safety glasses. People are cheering. We have been told it is a spiritual moment, a hair-raising moment. It is certainly that. It is an incredible feeling to be outside here and watch this. You can now look up at the sun with your bare eyes. It is safe for you to do so for the next two minutes. It is a moving scene, Lester. The temperature here dropping, the crowd cheering, young children, olders, their parents, multiple generations here. An incredible scene, Lester. I can't explain why, but it is. Um, <laughs> we had tears, we had um, screams, we had fight, fireworks uh, during totality, but it just took my breath away, the whole thing. Um, it's really cool that you can see the corona and you see the sun kind of spewing out from behind the moon. It literally took our breath away uh, for a while. So I'm so excited for everyone to experience this. Okay, those were three kind of uh, uh, minor uh, responses. You can see others if you Google eclipse and emotional. Not just broadcasters, though, but people just talking about what an emotional experience it was. Did that bring back good memories, you guys? Real good. Good. All right. Well, again, 
you see these people having uh, the same foundational emotion uh, to experiencing God that this psalm really talks about, which is awe and joy. Awe at his greatness and, and, and awe at our smallness, really, and yet joy that he would care enough because, you know, the earth is a small portion of the universe. You know, the, Jupiter is 11 times our size. The sun is a million times our size. Uh, there are several hundred billion stars in the Milky Way alone, and then there's a billion Milky Ways out there. The diameter of the observable universe is 92 light years. Excuse me, not 92, 92 billion light years, I should say. Let me put it another way with like an object lesson kind of thing. If the sun were the size of a beach ball and you took it up to the top of the Empire State Building, the next closest star, which would be Proxima Centauri, uh, it would be all the way over in Australia. The next closest star would be completely off the map, not, not close to the map. Just incredible. Uh, uh, another way, if the Milky Way galaxy were the size of the entire continent of North America, our particular solar system would fit into a coffee cup. Now, do you feel small yet? It reminds me of something I shared a, a few years ago about uh, Teddy Roosevelt. Uh, there's a wonderful book about him called Theodore Rex, and in it, he, it talks about how he would used to take... Uh, uh, dignitaries and ambassadors and people he was haggling with in, in meetings, he would take them out on the back of the White House lawn uh, in the evening, and he would suddenly just look heavenward, just look skyward, and everybody would finally get real quiet and look up with him. And back then, you didn't have the city lights that, that would wash out uh, the stars. You could see the stars really well, and it was just amazing, just brilliant lighting the sky. And then after a while, he would look back down and say, all right, gentlemen and ladies, I think we feel small enough, let's go to bed. And I think he was making a point with that. Again, the vastness of the heavens speaks to God's glory, indeed his glory, and as it says in that verse, is higher than the heavens. Now that's something to consider. Consider the 92 billion light years, and probably more than that, that the universe is, you know, across, just the diameter of it, but think about this, he is higher than the heavens. What that's saying is there's the God who is the God of all that we can see, no matter how far out it is, and even beyond that, but he's also the God who is beyond time and space. In other words, he is also in this other dimension that we call eternity that is beyond time and space itself. He's beyond all of that, higher than the very heavens that we see at observatories and elsewhere. So who are you in relation to God? Well, first of all, you should be in awe of him. But after looking at the heavens, look at what David does, because he, he says, look down now, because you don't need to feel so small. Yeah, you're small, but you're still significant. He looks at it from a different perspective. Secondly, he says, look down to yourself. In the very next breath, he says, look down to yourself. Look at verse 2. It says, you've taught children and infants to tell of your strength silencing your enemies and all who oppose you. Isn't it cool? David moves from the universe to a baby in a cradle. And you were there once. You were a newborn at some time, and people looked at you and gazed at you and realized just the magnitude of God's creation. And I think it's just so cool. Uh, what David is saying is an infant, a little infant, is as great a witness to God's glory as the universe. And I think that's true. You know, a galaxy is a galaxy, but a galaxy never, you know, did think or speak or create or have emotions. You know, God never breathed the breath of life into a galaxy the way he did to us. You know, a baby, just by his or her very presence, shouts to the glory of God just by being there. 
And that's why Jesus quoted this passage uh, in Matthew 21. When This was when he was uh, cleansing the temple and everybody was singing Hosanna and praise be to him who has come in the name of the Lord. And the religious leaders are indignant about it. And look how he uses this passage. The leading priests and the teachers of religious law saw these wonderful miracles and heard even the children in the temple shouting, Praise God for the Son of David. But the leaders were indignant. They asked Jesus, Do you hear what these children are saying? Yes, Jesus replied. Haven't you ever read the Scriptures? For they say you have taught children and infants to give you praise. He's using that very passage to show how even infants bear witness to the glory of God. And that's significant. You know, the, the God who created the universe and holds it all together. It's so cool because it reminds us that he chose to act through history. <clears throat> and as part of that, because he chose to act through history, think about this. God, in a sense, became uh, dependent on babies, in a way. Now, I'm not saying God is ever totally dependent but he, became de- he depended on them for certain things. When he needed to begin this nation called Israel, and there was no child born, what happened to that elderly couple, Abraham and Sarah? He delivers them a baby, Isaac, the son of laughter. Later on, when uh, he needs someone to deliver uh, the children of Israel from Egyptian bondage, what does he do? He sends a baby, and this baby's mother does what? Puts this baby in a papyrus basket and floats that baby down the river in the hopes that the baby would be retrieved as he was. But think about that. Uh, You know, all of that deliverance from bondage, uh, these these people who become known as the children of Israel, all of that hangs on this baby that's floating down the Nile in a basket. Later on, when God needed someone to complete the conquest of Canaan and to unify the kingdom of Israel, he gave Jesse one more son, a youngest son whose name was David, who actually wrote this psalm. Later on, when he needed someone to be a forerunner of Jesus, someone who would be a foreteller of the coming Messiah, he gave Elizabeth and Zechariah the son John the Baptist. And of course, at the right time, at the right time when we needed a Savior, he sent baby Jesus to Mary and Joseph. Pretty amazing. You know, he, he, in a sense, needed us in order for those things to happen, and we can see the very glory of God just in a newborn baby. But I want us to look again, because yes, we're small, but we are significant. But we got to look again at his just grand creation and how it operates. So again, David says, you know, look up, look down. Now look up again, and really, let's say, look up at his grand production. Not just that he made all these things, but how it operates and how intricate it is, really how miraculous it is. Let's look at verse 3. When I look at the night sky and see the work of your fingers, the moon, and the stars you set in place. Now, it's interesting. Most ancient rabbinical scholars and even contemporary scholars say it's cool that that David said the work of your fingers. (laughs) He didn't say God needed his whole arm or he needed two arms or two hands or whatever. Just, Just, you know, this part of it is just the work of your fingers. That's all that was needed. There's a creation out there, don't you think, that calls for a creator. There are things made that call for a maker. I don't see how you can get around that, especially even from a scientific perspective, how you see how intricate all of this is. For instance, the tilt of the earth on its axis is 23.5 degrees. Is it just happenstance that it's that? Because if it tilted three degrees further away from the sun, the ice cap would become much, much larger. We would ultimately freeze to death if it was three degrees closer to us. Uh, the ice cap would melt and the whole earth would be inundated. We, we would uh, be flooded. Uh, if it rotated, if the earth rotated just a little bit more slowly, 
nights would be longer, and actually we would all freeze if it rotated just a little bit more rapidly. It would boil the earth. We could not sustain life here. Is it just happenstance that it goes at 1,000 miles per hour as it rotates? Or the temperature of the sun? 12,000 degrees, and it happens to be 93 million miles away. If it had varied one half of 1% the distance, the world would have been too cold or too hot to inhabit. The distance from us to the moon is 240,000 miles. If it was just 50,000, the pull of gravity would have affected the tides to where, again, it would have inundated the earth. We could not exist. Just amazing. And that's just the work of his fingers. (laughs) Just the work of his fingers. Is that happenstance? No, I would argue strongly that that speaks to the miraculous, the miraculous that you and I should be in awe of. But God still seems to care for us even when we can feel so small amidst all of this. And he says, look down at your grand position, not not just looking at his grand production, look at your grand position within that grand production. Look at verses 4 and 5. This gets, gets, gets to the heart of it. What are mere mortals? You know, who am I? Who are you? What are mere mortals that you should think about them? Human beings that you should care for them. Yet you made them only, what? A little lower than God. And crown them with glory and honor. Isn't that interesting? You know, uh, we ask ourselves, you know, who am I? Who am I in the middle of all this creation? Who am I in relationship to God? Really, the word there for mortals is Enosh. It, it really speaks to humanity and all of its feebleness and all of its finitude and all of its weakness and all of its lowness. Who am I? And yet, you know what? When we ask that question, and sometime you and I will, in fact, multiple times we probably will ask in our lifetime, who am I? And who am I in relationship to God? You know what? Even asking that question is a clue to the answer. Even asking that question. Because you're the only creation on earth that would ever ask that question. I don't see a dog ever asking, what is a dog? You know, I don't see dogs doing that. Who am I in this world? Now, you love them to death, but I don't picture that. I I don't see a fish saying, you know what? What is my identity here? I don't see that happening. There's nothing else that's been created that would be asking that question other than ourselves. Why? Because what's amazing about all this is you and I are created in God's very image. We bear his image within ourselves. In fact, it makes us, what does it say? Only a little lower than God. If you go back to the King James Version of the Bible, it says, uh, we, yet you made them a little lower than the angels. Everybody remember that? Look at the King James Version. You know why that was? It's just because the King James translators were nervous. They didn't like the idea of of us being elevated to the point of being just a little lower than God. And so they actually mistranslated it on purpose and said, you're a little lower than the angels. But the word is Elohim there. We're just a little bit lower than Elohim. We're a little bit lower than God. Now, no doubt we wound up lousing up that uh, image bearing that, that he offered to us. But think about that. When he created us, we reflected the glory of his very image. Just incredible. We were crowned in the image of God. Just incredible. I think that's why C.S. Lewis said once, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. You know, not only do we have this favored position, but look at what he offered us. And you remember this from Genesis chapter 2, but look at what he did with us. Uh, Let's look at uh, verses 6 through 8. You gave them charge of everything you made. What's the word? Starts with a D. We we had what? Dominion over everything, right? 
You gave them charge of everything you made, putting all things under their authority, the flocks and the herds and all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, and everything that swims in ocean currents. He gave us dominion over all of that. And originally, all things were good, right? There's the passage that said, what, and they were both naked and unafraid. What did that mean? Uh, They were in harmony with each other, with creation, and especially and most importantly with God. They were naked and unashamed, and it can be translated unafraid. They were unashamed because they were in harmony with all things, but still did they mess that up? Uh, Yeah, we did, and you know that, and that brings us to the very next thing. Look at what we did with us, not just what he did with us, but look at what we did with this incredible offering that he gave us. All he asked, you know, he said, I'm going to give you dominion over all things. I'm going to ask you one thing. Just remember who I am and who you are. Look at the vastness of this universe. I run that. I run an eternal uh, place that's even beyond this. So just remember who I am and remember who you are. That's all I ask. And and, and so uh, did they remain uh, uh, true to that? Well, no, they couldn't resist it, as you well know. Genesis 3, 4 through 6, uh, this is the serpent. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God. (laughs) Having dominion over God's creation on earth just wasn't enough. They still wanted to take God's place, and as you know, that's the basis of all sin. Wanting to take his place, and because of that, we suffered that estrangement known as sin. I know a lot of people define sin as separation. I don't like that word so much. I like to say that sin is estrangement from God because what estrangement connotes is that there once was a relationship and we messed it up and now we are in that place where we are separated from him, where there's a gulf between us until Christ came. And he brought that solution. Think about this. This is how much he cared that this this God who created, uh, you know, this universe that is probably more than 92 billion light years across. You know, he cared enough to work in our own space and time. He chose to work through our history. That's just mind-boggling. Not just by having these babies being born to help you know, point the way toward Christ, but that he himself came down in the form of his son and lived and taught us and died for us. That's just mind-boggling. You know, he entered into our time and space that ultimately you and, my, you and I might be released from this time and space, which is such an evil place and divided place and and broken place and unholy place, as you well know. But he entered that for us. Look at what he did for us. And that's why we need to look back at what he did for us. And I'll just read at length Romans 5, beginning at verse 6. It says, When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners, stepped out of eternity into our own life. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending us Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. And this is where it just gets so cool. For since our friendship, we have friendship with God, you know, 92 billion light years and all this. I mean, we have personal friendship with God. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. Now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us what? Friends of God. Friends of this God who has created 
such a vast, a vast existence. Just incredible. He did that for us. You know, we were his image bearers. We were created in his image, but we tarnished that image. We contaminated it. We corrupted it. We shamed it. We dirtied it. But nevertheless, he cared enough to sacrifice his own son's life that we might find life. Did that within the span of our own time and space. He restored us to righteousness with God. Gave us new life, new purpose. You know what? really what he gave us? He gave us a new dignity. He gave us a new dignity that we did not deserve. And, and when was the last time we were really moved by that reality? R.C. Sproul uh, told the story recently about, about a, a person who had been uh, in his class. He was a college student. And uh, the college student came to him with uh, something he was really struggling with. And this, this student just happened to have cerebral palsy and was in a wheelchair and, and, and had a lot of you know, spasms and had gnarled hands and was just having struggles with, uh, with that physically. And then he would stammer through his words. You had to wait for a long time to hear what he had to say, and it was just very, very difficult. But R.C. Sproul listened to him, and he, when he got the sense of what this guy was struggling with, he said, well, let me pray for you. And, and the, the person said, I would, I would appreciate that. So he started to pray, put his hand on the guy's shoulder and started praying for him. And he said, I prayed the most routine prayer, like, oh, God, please help this man with his struggles, and went on. But he said, the, 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 this, this person's shoulder just began to shake. And then he just started heaving in these sobs. And, and, and he couldn't pray any longer. He was like, what's wrong? And finally he just said, son, what's wrong? And, and, and this, this 22-year-old man said, said, you called me a man. He said, nobody's ever called me a man before. Restored his dignity. Uh, that's precisely what God did for us through his son Jesus, even after we tarnished and dirtied that very image that we were supposed to be bearing to reflect the glory that he truly, truly deserves. You might not have a physical brokenness like like this man did who R.C. Sproul prayed for. But all of us have been disabled (laughs) by sin, and and yet he cared enough to rescue us, restore us, redeem us. We had this life-killing brokenness that he brought back to life and made whole again. Who are we that he would do that? But you know, he did. And not just that, he called us friends. Sees us as friends. Why would he even care that much about us? But he does. It's astounding. And that's the joy that we will anticipate and realize one day in fullness that we really are his friends. And that's finally what we look at. Look forward to what Christ will do for us. We know what he did for us on the cross. But look at what he will do for us ultimately. Look at Revelation 3, 20 and 21. This is Jesus speaking. Lord, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. I just love that image of all, hey, come on, the throne's big. We're all just going to be sitting up there with him. Why? Because we're his friends. One day we will sit with him as his friends on his throne. That's astounding. And that's so undeserved. And yet it is so offered to us so freely because foundationally, at the basis of all this, this great and mighty God who has created the vastness of all the universe, you know what he is most ultimately? Love. I think love is a better name for God than God, actually. 
All of this out of love. So we can't help but repeat, just as David repeats, verse 9, O Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills all the earth. All the earth. And yet he cares. <laughs> and yet he cares for you in the most personal of ways and can't wait to see his good friend ultimately when he sees you face to face. So undeserved. But anyway, praise God. Let's pray together. Amazing grace, how can it be, O oh God, that you would care enough among all of these galaxies, among this solar system, this planet, uh, this place, our existence, that you would care that much. Your love that knows no bounds just as the universe knows no bounds. And your love for us is greater than that vastness. Incredible. Incredible. And not only do you rescue us now toward life with you here on earth, but you rescue us toward a life that is beyond time and space in a whole new realm of existence where we are with you face to face. What more can we say except thank you? And Lord, we bless you and praise you for that reality. Lord, help us to let that sink in to our hearts and our souls, especially in those places those dark corners that we don't want to remember about bad things that have happened to us or bad things that we've done, bad things we've said. Help the light even pierce those places. Not to expose them out of shaming, but to show just how much you love us in spite of. Be with us now, O oh God, as we sing of your love, and may we give you praise and honor and glory. We pray these things in your name. Amen.